Uh, we're going to talk today about the fig tree. If you're familiar with the story, in between some other significant events, Jesus curses a fig tree. And it's a story that has always sparked a lot of questions in my mind. And some of those have recently been answered, and I was going to share it with you. But go ahead, and if you've got your Bibles with you or on your smartphone, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 11. And we're going to read a couple sections out of there, starting in verse 12. And this is happening after Jesus has come in, had his triumphant entry on the cult with all the people saying, Hosanna in the highest. And um, there are two different accounts. We're going to read this one in Mark and one in Matthew. And one puts the account right after he turns over the tables in the, uh, in the temple and runs out the money changers. And the other one sort of divides it up uh, over that time span. But this is right around that time. Jesus has come to Jerusalem knowing where he's going, knowing he's headed towards the cross. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. Skip down a little bit to verse 20. The next morning as they passed by the fig tree, he had cursed. The disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that, it, that you'll receive it, it will be yours. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone who, hold, who you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. And we're gonna, we'll go ahead and read the account, the shorter account in Matthew chapter 21. It's going to be on the screen. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do do things like this and much more. You can, you can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. Before we dive too seriously, I don't think the Lord's talking about having your own private jet here. <laughs> We're not going to name and claim our G10s today. But this has always fascinated me because it's noteworthy. It's in Scripture. It's in two of the Gospels. Uh, and this to the best of my knowledge, and I'm not claiming to have an exhaustive study, is the only place we see Jesus physically curse something. He woes the Pharisees. He warns them. He tells them that people like them may end up in a cursed state. But he doesn't outright address anybody or anything else that we see recorded in the Gospels, to the best of my knowledge, 
uh, directly cursed with an immediate, an immediate sort of death sentence to this tree. And it's always fascinated me because you saw, you saw in Mark, in Mark's account, the tree's not even in season. Like, Jesus, you went over to the tree when it wasn't supposed to have any. Did you not know that? Guy who created everything? And I've always found it's one of those things where you first read it and you feel like, well, that's unreasonable or that's weird or I don't, I don't understand. Recently, the Lord, uh, I heard someone talking through this that had the same question and they talked about how the Lord had re- revealed a certain wisdom about it. And I've heard a, a little bit about it, but before we get started, I'll go ahead and let you know the title. The title of this is In and Out of Season. And the one truth... I'll give it to you up front that I want to share with you. If you don't get anything else, if you're going to hit snooze right after this sentence. What I want you to understand is the fig tree did not respond to the presence of its creator. Instead, it chose to be defined by the world. The world said it's out of season. But the very being who created the tree asked fruit of it. So let's unpack this a little bit. We see that Jesus is hungry, and he sees this fig tree in full leaf, and he goes over to see if he can find any figs. Now, the thing that occurs to me is maybe this has happened before. Jesus has turned water to wine when he's needed something. Maybe he's walked up to trees and been like, oh, I just want to get an apple. It's the dead of winter, and an apple just, you know, shoots out of a dead branch, and then, you know, he walks off. I don't know if that's happened. We don't have any story about that. We don't know the degree of expectation that's occurred, but I ask myself, has this happened before? But even if it hasn't, the person who's able to make out-of-season demands is the one who has created all of it to begin with and empowers us to meet those demands. Jesus goes to the tree. Jesus approaches the tree expecting to find fruit. I'm hungry. I see the tree in full leaf. I know it's out of season, but I'm going to go over there and get some fruit. And I would contend that he expects the same thing of us in and out of season. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3 says, speaking of the righteous, says they are, they are like trees planted along the riverbanks bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. And they prosper in all they do. Seasons do not matter to the one to which nothing is impossible. So Jesus walks up to this tree expecting out of season to find fruit because he is the one who can empower that fruit to be there. But the fruit's not in seasons. It's out of season which was likely known to Jesus. And Jesus knows his request feels impossible, but I believe that that's the point. When he asks us to bear fruit out of season, when he asks us for something that goes against every natural inclination and feeling in the moment, I believe he understands that he's asking us to do something that we in our own strength can't do. That requires his equipping. We sang earlier about surrender. It requires 
our complete surrender in our everyday life. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, speaking to Timothy, says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Be ready in and out of season. When it's good, when it's bad, how, are we, how, how do we accomplish bearing fruit out of season? I, I contend that we cannot. We don't have the ability of ourselves to bear fruit out of season. But the one who lives in us can accomplish infinitely more than we can dream or imagine. So let the response to Jesus, so Jesus approaches the tree expecting fruit, knows it's out of season, still expects fruit, curses the tree in response to not finding the fruit he's looking for. And that implies to me that there was a severe offense. Like I said, we don't have any other stories of Christ cursing, directly cursing anybody, especially with this immediate withering of the tree. In this instance, the creation, creation refused, refused to respond to the presence of the Creator. The result was the removal of the ability to produce fruit. Jesus removed his blessing of life. I would, I would also offer that when Christ curses something, if Christ is life itself, if God is where the source of life, when he removes his blessing, there's only death. There is no life. In John chapter 15, we see a lot of this, a lot of this imagery talking about Christ being the true vine, and apart from him, you can do nothing. The tree apart from Jesus couldn't bear fruit. In John chapter 15, well, it's, a, it's a big section, but it's a good section. I'm going to read it to you, verses 1 through 8. It says, I, Jesus speaking, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and, my, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Does that sound familiar? When you abide in me and I abide in you, you can ask of me anything. 
He says the same thing after cursing this tree that didn't produce any fruit. And the disciples are like, do you, you see that tree just withered Jesus? You went over there and said that thing, and then we came back, and it was all dead. And he says, yes, and you can similarly ask anything. You can even tell that mountain to be thrown into the sea, and it will be in John 15. Jesus is the true vine, and apart from him, you can do nothing. When he separates his life force from the tree, when he curses the tree and denies it life, it withers and dies and is not able to produce any fruit ever again. Apart from him, apart from Christ, that tree can do nothing. It can't even live. There is no life separate from Jesus. And that is the great trouble of sin. Sin is what separates us from God, and Christ is what reconciles us to him. Christ's sacrifice and resurrection. Like the tree, our rejection of him identifies areas of rebellion in us. When we say Where are areas, this is the question I want you to ask in your mind, where am I like the tree? Where does Jesus approach me and expect to find fruit, but just finds my stubbornness? In that same area, John 15, he says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Bearing fruit is part of discipleship. Bearing fruit is the mark of discipleship. Fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not in just the things you do, but in, your, in, in, the, in the condition of your soul. Where are you resistant to Christ when he approaches you expecting fruit? Now, I'm not saying this to say that Jesus is going to curse you and you're going to wither up and die. Don't hear me saying that. Salvation is, it, through Christ is a, is a one-and-done thing. This is not a heaven or hell issue. This is a sanctification issue. This is when in life that Jesus wants to go deeper than Sunday morning and wants to go deeper into every area, every area that touches you and that you touch also. In the moment to moment, in the quiet of your home, in the busyness of your workplace, in the chaos of your chaos, Christ wants to bear fruit. Verse, John chapter 15, verse 6 in the ESV says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire to be burned. That same phrasing is the same thing used for the tree. When we don't respond to him, we identify an area in us that's a dead branch. And he said he's faithful to prune those. Not bend you over his knee and spank you. Although some of us may need that at times. To include myself. But that when he identifies areas of rebellion and sin in our life, which sin is just self, the original sin is choosing ourselves over the Lord. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I know what's best, Lord. 
I don't need you here. I don't need you in this area. I've figured it out. No, we're not going to change the way I do things here. This is how I've always done it. It works for me. It's comfortable. That's the tree of knowledge of good and evil that denies that anything that Christ asks of us is not inherently good and for our good. As we abide in him, as we go further into him, he promises, I'm going to ask for fruit out of season. And that's going to reveal things in your heart. And then I'm going to prune those things. Because I want you to bear fruit in other places. And you, that dead branch, serves you no purpose. I would contend that we can choose to be a willing participant in that process that promises discomfort. But we can also be a toddler that's drug along. To be like my sleepy, almost four-year-old yesterday, who everything she hated. For the full hour leading up to bedtime, everything was wrong. And what was best for her? She needed to go to bed. Did she want to go to bed? Nope. So Megan put her to bed. We can be like that. The Lord loves us too much to leave us in our fruitlessness. The final part of all this is after the trees, he's gone to the tree. He said, man, I'm going to get some fruit. It's not there. He curses the tree, it withers and dies. And the disciples are like, what? He goes on to say, you can, you can pray mountains into seas. You can ask for anything. At first glance, I'm like, are you asking me to curse things, Lord? Because this, this is not a power you need to give me. No, you should not trust me with that. He is showing us that a life surrendered to him can produce fruit out of season, that anything is possible at any time. It's designed to reframe, to sanctify your thought processes so that when you encounter a mountain, you don't panic and sit down or turn around and go the other way. You follow the Lord and trust that, well, I guess he's going to throw this mountain into the sea or we're going to get around it one way or the other. It gives you, it places you in a position to believe at all times the Lord has a redemptive solution in mind to every obstacle that you encounter and that those obstacles aren't necessarily because of your own failings, that they're designed to prune the dead branches from you. Failure is one of the greatest teachers we have. And sometimes we need to go fall into a pit so we can have some rest and learn about who we are. Hashtag Joseph. Your life is not going to be a life, a mature life in Christ is not a linear line of success. A true life in Christ is greater and greater resilience because you abide deeper and deeper in him. 
so that when you face the mountains, you can go, well, we just went over one back there. He just moved that whole mountain into the sea. Well, this one looks bigger, but same impossibility. But I've been here before. He says in, uh, in the latter half of that story, but you must really believe. This is not, this really believing is not an independent self-work, but the result of a process of repeatedly experiencing a life surrendered to God. What we just talked about. Belief is evidenced by our actions. We don't really believe because we said it 50 times before we got here and we got hyped up about it. We really believe it because from our core, we act on that belief. If we truly believe the Lord provides in every situation, then we feel peace from that belief because we've experienced the Lord's provision. I'm not telling you that there aren't going to be times of anxiety and scariness and fearfulness. There are. But true belief at its core is standing on Christ in the midst of the storm, saying, that storm is really scary, Lord, but you told me to sit here, so I'm going to sit here. You told me to take a nap in the storm, so I'm going to take a nap. True belief is acting. True belief is evidenced by our actions. But we have another choice. We can define ourselves by our circumstance and ignore his presence. And from there, we'll never bear bear fruit. We're not going to bear fruit. The Lord can still use you. He can still use the situation. Nothing is wasted. He redeems all of it. But we can choose to be like the Israelites in the desert and complain about the manna raining from heaven. We can complain about our position and station in life. And we can choose to be miserable victims subject to the world. It's no good place to be, but we're not going to develop any fruit there. We're just going to grow our dead branches out some more. And he'll give us another opportunity. But I would contend that the Lord, while he is very gracious, gentle, and close to each of us, and very friendly, is also the king. We get to be friendly with him, but we have to also respect his sovereignty. We have to respect his authority. We get to have vulnerability with him. We get to express our dissatisfaction. That is present. That's a, that is completely fine. But at the end of the day, if the king says go, you go. But if we choose to say, well, no, I know better than you. This is just too uncomfortable. This is just not what I signed up for. We're not going to bear fruit. We're just going to extend the growth on our dead branches. And the other thing that, that in Mark, this that Jesus identifies as a significant obstacle is unforgiveness. He 
is the very last verse. He said, but when you are praying, like he asked you to, to move mountains, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will also forgive your sins. Our own obstinance is one thing, but unforgiveness will hold us in place as well. And I'm not telling you that because it's some easy thing to overcome. I'm telling you that because if you find yourself bitter and you find yourself tied up in the offenses of other people against you, Christ wants to free you from that. He wants you to let go. He does not want you to be enslaved by it so that it dictates everything in your life. He wants to walk us through a process of forgiveness because he knows how to do that. So this is a long way of asking the question, when the Lord comes to you expecting fruit, how do you respond? He sees you. He knows your potential. He knows what you were designed to do. He has every every creative thought in mind that he's placed in you or is in the process of placing in you and he shows up to see what you're doing and to pick some of that fruit how do we respond or in this case out of season immediately bear some fruit how do we respond are we too comfortable in our friendship that we disrespect his lordship Denying that his every request is by definition good. Jesus wants to do some big things in everyone here. He has done some big things in most folks. I know of several stories in the room. And he wants to keep on doing those things. Because we don't, we're in. We're in America. Our church is not persecuted. The worst persecution for the American church happened in 2020 when they were like, hey, uh, please don't meet because COVID. And that lasted, for us, that lasted like three months. And a lot of that was by choice. No one is knocking on your door asking, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And then taking you out back and shooting you. Nobody's doing that here. So it's real easy to be comfortable. It's real easy to to be lulled to sleep. And the Lord is moving. And the Lord needs people to be responsive because he's moving at a pace that we may not be in step with. And so we have to be at all times surrendered. We have to be at all moments aware he may ask us to bear fruit when it's not convenient, when we don't feel like it, when it doesn't make any sense. If the air conditioning's not working, if the sound's not perfect, if the sun came in the window and hit you in the eye just at the wrong time in the morning, like, we let, we let the world too often decide our temperament and too often decide whether or not we're going to be able to bear any fruit that day 
you ever woke up, something happened, just ruined the rest of your day? I mean, I'm in that category. I'm not exempting myself. All of a sudden, you're just out of season because your kid came in two or three times in the middle of the night complaining about a make-believe bug bite on their leg. Just ruined your whole next week. <laughs> the Lord doesn't want us to be defined by those things. He wants us to, to step back into his presence, to acknowledge the truth that he's always with us, whether we feel it or not, that he lives inside of us, and that his peace is always accessible, that his joy is always accessible, and that his love flows through us as a river, and we are a tree planted on a river that does not very reason not to draw on those deep roots in Christ. And if you find yourself lacking, press into prayer. Sit with him and say, my roots aren't deep enough. Deepen them, Lord. And let him do a work in you. Let him do a work in you. Don't resist him. Let him do it. All right, I'm going to pray for us now. Yeah. Jesus. Father, we live in a world that gives us every reason not to bear fruit. But Father, we ask for roots that are deeply rooted in you. That fruit would come easily. That we would not resist you. Father, that every area of our life would be surrendered. Father, where we are not surrendered, show us. Show us. Highlight it. And may we say yes to you in those areas. Father, your goodness wants to permeate every detail of our life. I choose to believe that, even when it's scary and unknown. Truly have your way. Unrestricted access to every corner of our soul. In Jesus' name.